Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. Hey, the premise of this podcast is a little different. What it is is that I invite somebody I'm very interested in having a conversation with to my studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the first thing we do is we sit down and do a portrait together and kind of bring them into my world of portrait photography in my studio. And then we sit down for an hour, sometimes less, sometimes more. Basically, we talk as long as we'd like, and then we share that conversation out into the world. And my first guest, I'm very honored to have my good friend Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. Brian Vanderark. There's too many Brian's. Brian Vanderark of the uh, very successful band, The Verb Pipe, which are enjoying a, an amazing resurgence. They're touring all around the country. And uh, Brian has been the spearhead and creative force behind that band since its inception. They rocketed to fame in the late 90s. And then some of that fame just went away. And Brian's done an amazing job reinventing his solo career. Now the band is back together, and Brian's turned a lot of his insight into his own perceived failures and just adapting to the ever-changing landscape of the music industry into a very successful corporate speaking career. And uh, he's just somebody who's endlessly interesting to me. And uh, one little side note, as you get into this episode, the very first five minutes you'll hear is just me and Brian bantering while we're waiting for some cameras to get set up. We're rolling audio, but not the cameras, and so it isn't really the official beginning to the podcast, but there's some fun banter in there, kind of a peek into uh, how we just shoot the breeze. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this first episode. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, let me know how we're doing, let me know if you like this podcast, or maybe just tell me maybe there shouldn't be an episode two and hang it up. But uh, anyway, it's all about connection. Connect back to us. Let me know if you're out there and listening. And uh, I hope you enjoy this very first episode of Full Exposure with Brian Kelly, your host, and our very first guest, Brian Vanderark of The Verb Pipe. Yeah, because we talk about this loud, right? This is pretty natural. Natural. A, B, C, D. This feels pretty good. I think I'm... I'm sounding a little more baritone, a little more rich, lower register. Can't get a burp out. Oh. That's the sure test right there. Okay. I think we saw a spike burp. on that, even though it was a feeble attempt. <laughs> that was lame. I hope it's not any I indication can't. of what's coming. Can you, can you force yourself to burp? <laughs> no, I can't. Because my kids can all do it. I can't do it. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. I'm speeding, Mark. I can... Um, can eat pretty much anything except red onion. Red onion. Yeah, I'm deathly allergic to red onion. Allergic or just you're a fantastic wuss and you can't handle it? Listen, I can eat anything. Well, red onion true. is the one thing that will bring me to my knees. And it's not, and it's, it's on every gas station sandwich. Is this true? That's because the meat it's is sometimes so easy. already half spoiled. Yeah, and then true. you can't, speaking it masks that, the rotted meat fat, flavor. This is related to, are we recording? We're recording and we're not, the video's not up, but we can. We, uh, we've had, Lux brought the car in to get it detailed. And uh, needless to say, it wasn't, it wasn't detailed. They didn't show much detail, attention to detail. 
But uh, afterwards, it, like, the car stunk. And she's like, well, they, they also do a detailing for $200. We could do it. And it like, makes it brand new. I'm like, no, we're not going to spend $200 in a detail, you know. And uh, anyway, so this went on, this went on like all week this week or last week. And the car stunk because I couldn't figure it out. We figured one of the kids spilled Starbucks or something, you know, milk or something is spoiled. And then this morning she came downstairs with a D&W bag and it was like an old ribeye that was like, <laughs> it was, like it was under her yoga mats, under the, you know, the, uh, the salt we bought for the driveway. And it's just been sitting down there. I was like, what kind of freaking detail is that? Yeah. Like they left a D&W bag of old meat. You know what I love about winter is... The emergency ribeye is usually ever fresh. <laughs> like if you're, if, yeah. well, we went through you that. You slide warming. off the road in a snowstorm. We went through that warming trend um, for a couple of days. That's where it all went bad. <laughs> I said, "Well, let me sun. look at it at least sun is, <laughs> before you throw that out. Let me just look at it and see what's going on with it. Because we could always put in the kids' lunches. Yeah, I hear you." Is it, yeah, that'd be great. Let's just slice it real thin. Let's bring it back to the butcher. That, that helps. It. Yeah, you slice it. Corn I mean, beef. honestly, the good thing about eating rancid food like that is the cleanse. You know, it is a natural. It is a natural, natural cleanser. Colon cleanser. Which I'm supposed to get a colonoscopy. Have you had yours yet? I have had mine, and I'm, I'm I, I did enjoy. I enjoyed the drugs afterwards. Nice. Too much. Where it's that truth serum where you're just. Spewing, spewing, <laughs> spewing uh, nonsense. And uh, Lux took a video of me spewing nonsense. Oh. And I was telling a, an old story of my dad and my grandfather. And for some reason, like an interaction between them, ridiculous. And then I watched the video and I'm like, I have no recollection of telling you this story it's at all. Am- but I thought, amnesia. But you imagine if you were having an affair or anything where... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. I just like, needed to tell you something. <laughs> I'm, I'm so got sorry. You. I did. You know. We were in, uh, we were in Indianapolis. Uh, yeah. Sorry. That's all you say. I'm so sorry. No details. Yeah, no details. I'm so afraid. Well, not that I'm having an affair, but I'm just saying, what if I do spill the beans on something else like that I did? Yeah, there's got to be quite quite the archive of things before. Well, in 14 years of marriage, how long have you been married? 22. They've been married 22 years. You've got some things that you weren't completely honest about. You know, your marriage survives because, you know, that. Of course, that dress looks great on you, or whatever, as innocuous as that is. Sure. Or what, for whatever reason, you weren't, you know, completely forthright in what yeah. you, you know, that you could probably spill the beans while you're under. <laughs> I wouldn't go with. I wouldn't I go do it again with Lux. Is what I'm saying. Like I, I recommend you go on your own on that one. Or you have to have somebody with you. So yeah, that's what they Hannah told me. Hannah can drive you, right? Uh, well, Hannah is my oldest, but she's she doesn't have a license yet. Maddie does. She? She's, uh, you know, a sophomore in college. No big deal. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why does yeah. she have a license? She's just, uh, let's put this gently. She's just not a very confident driver and then has just decided that maybe it's not important. But she's on campus in Ann Arbor. That's funny. And so she doesn't need... She doesn't need a car huh. wow. for most of the year. What is wrong with kids but today? Then, uh, well, that I was like know. everything when we were kids. Oh, I know. Everything. I, like, I just couldn't wait to get in the car. I could not wait. To just drive around. Yeah. But Maddie's an excellent driver. So Maddie, she's a senior in high school. So, you know, she's driving everywhere and she likes to drive. And uh, so have her take you. That's your best. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a no cell phone policy going in. 
We'll just tape. <laughs> I want everybody's tape. cell phones <laughs> yeah. in this bag. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Hey, Brian, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming, man. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, this Brian. This is uh, going to be fun. Brian and Brian. Yeah. Maybe there's a the name of your podcast. As of yet, it's unnamed. It. It's unnamed as of now. But, uh, yeah, I think some nugget will come out of this where, it, you know, you're a writer. So something yeah. poetic would be nice coming out of this I that I could just... You said that, and I was immediately <laughs> offended by that. But I am a writer. Yeah, you write lyrics. Right. I write li- I listen... Scripts, you know, you know, I did yeah. a screenplay I wrote. Um, yeah, I am a writer, but no, I have no interest in helping you with this. Oh, and not even other than talking. <laughs> yeah, this is the limit of our friend. This, this is, is really this. You're you've already pushed already, the boundaries. I already owe you. I a let couple. you take pictures of me. <laughs> I let you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, I wanted to get into right away your your breakfast philosophy. Because you yeah. and I go back a ways. We've enjoyed a few breakfasts together. At least I've enjoyed most of them. I don't know about you. I think you enjoyed m- part of mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's if the I first. Correctly. Mark, keep a tab on the fat jokes, okay? Because it's coming. That's number one. We're, seriously, when you go to eat breakfast with Brian Kelly, you, it's, like you're, it's like you're in prison. You have to, like, you have to take your arms and put it around your food. <laughs> this is true. Like, and kind of shield it. But here's the thing: I don't yeah, think I've human. ever touched your breakfast because you yeah. are the you have the most simple breakfast taste of almost anyone. I think you've Is always right? ordered the same thing. It's always been two eggs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe bacon. Yeah, bacon or sausage. And sure. some type. I don't even know if you get toast, but I think you do get yeah. some whatever potatoes they have, either hashed or American fries. It's true. It's true. And then and that's that, it for the day. That's it. Yeah. Usually. Until yeah. I Until know. the sun goes down. <laughs> That's what I meant by the Until day. you find the ribeye in the back of your car <laughs> and you're eating it in the car wash yeah. as you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming in. It's, sure. uh, I, but that is sort of like that insight. I don't know. It isn't really an insight except that it's a pretty basic thing. You're, I know you're root and I, so I want to talk about mm-hmm. your routine as an artist. Mm-hmm. You're an early start guy. Yes, always been. Well, oh. since the Army. I was in the Army. Yeah, so that's so that, tied together. So yep. the Army just smacked that into you, and you yep. thought that was productive? It, it smacked me into um, being um, methodical about things um, and the value in chunks of work. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I do here. I'm going to do that chunk here. I'm not going to finish it probably, but I'm going to come back and finish it a little, do a little bit more the next day, a little bit more the next day. In songwriting, it's the same thing. It's like if I sat and wrote a song in 15 minutes, I think the song would be shitty. You know, I'm not Paul McCartney who, you know, wakes up and writes yesterday, you know, in 20 minutes or whatever. Right. So I have to take lyrics as puzzle pieces and it takes time and I could go a whole year without having a finished song. Yeah. And I'm missing one or two lines. One or two puzzle pieces, and this gets back to those uh, scrappy little notebooks you keep everywhere. Yeah, notebooks around. everywhere, ridiculous. Just how do you? So, you're like, when you're ready to finish the line from the song from nine months ago, yeah, how do you find the notebook? Because it could be under it, the car that's seat. The or, beauty of it, it, it well, the beauty of it is that you know, with songs that would become popular, which are the least um, story. Um, driven songs, you know, they're the songs that have the most ambiguity in it, the songs that anybody can relate to. Yeah. 
those are simple and those are easy. And those I can go back to all my notebooks and go, oh, this was a pretty cool concept. I could put one, that one line in there or whatever. Yeah. When it's a story and a linear story, which is what I prefer to write, um, where it's a select group of people that want to hear a story in their lyric, um, whether it pertains to them or not or whether they can relate to it or not, those are the ones where I have to really buckle down and figure it out. You know, yeah, there's and no I've easy way that, to get to that. I've enjoyed that about your writing because you will assume a character sometimes, always, and always. and write from that perspective. Try to, and yeah. but I'm wondering at some point between the verb pipe and your solo work, do you write differently? Do you have like, oh, I've got, I need to write for the band versus I need to write for myself? Does it, or does it just come out uh, of whatever is now? It comes out and. It, now it's about mood of the song. It's not about lyric. Now it's about melody and mood. You know, if, if uh, for instance, I've been working on, on songs for the new Verb Pipe record, and everything right now is mellow. So typically what I would do is go, okay, there's too many mellow songs. I'm going to save this for a solo album, this for a solo album, that kind of thing. So it's re- it really is a mood. It's never really about the lyric now, because I think we've established ourselves over the years and even back then, The Freshman was a, you know, it's a story-driven song. There's a story to it. Um, though that did have quite a bit of ambiguity in it as well uh, and open to interpretation. But now, no, it's got nothing to do with the lyric. You really? Verb pipe could be any kind of lyrical content. You know, we, Channing and I, Channing just joined the band a few years ago, Channing Lee. She's a phenomenal singer and uh, so, phenomenal lyricist as well. A lot of people she's pretty nice, that. too. She's like a terrific, nice person. Terrific lady. Uh, she and I have been writing some stuff together and um, trying to get into, um, we have a song called The Freeze right now, where it's that moment where someone is being um, uh, sexually violated um, and they, you know, they go to a different place. They can't, it's the fight or flight theory. They sure. don't, they talk about the fight or flight, they don't talk about the freeze. That's the whole concept of the song. Yeah. But they're frozen, they don't know what to do. Well, why didn't you get out of there? Frozen, like a deer in headlights. Yeah. That's what this song is about. And I couldn't get to that place without Chandy. Right. Because, you know, who am I, as a male, to, to put myself in the position, that position of being sexually assaulted as a woman, right. without getting the perspective of a woman? And she nailed it. Like, yeah. she, she brought so much... I, I'm getting chills right now. Because, I mean, it really is a powerful song, and it's powerful because of her. Right. You know, she took it to that place for me that I was afraid to go. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, I think from a perspective standpoint, and I also think a lot of things happen incrementally, I think especially to women, and I, we both have, uh, have some things in common that we have a lot of women in our household. I have three daughters. You have yeah. two daughters and a son, two sons, but th- yeah. uh, three kids at home. Yeah. But I and think some of that... With that no, for, a dog with no balls. We don't so want to talk about Tucker right now. Tucker. We're Tucker just gonna, is essentially We're, we're going to tuck that on the He's back end. He's an old end. woman. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the maternal grandmother, <laughs> Tucker. Um, no, but I mean, I think things you talk about the freeze, the freeze being it's happened to all of us, but I think it happens incrementally. Like if even if something as traumatic uh, traumatic as what you're saying is sexual assault, I've experienced freeze just when somebody said something to you that you you just caught off guard and you're like, are yep. you? Did you just say that to yeah. me? And then you like you have to decide: Am I going to challenge this, or am I going right. to just let it roll over right. me? It's what what it's how much 
value there is to what they're saying to your life. If, if, right. if, if you know, I, listen, I, I run across, I do still do the house concert thing. Yeah. And I, I've done house concerts for, I mean, get into the whole political thing, but for Trump supporters. And, sure. and you know, nobody ever even, like, mentions that. Right. You know. You meaning like, at, at their At, at their the home. Yeah, I'm sure. at their home. Yeah. And I see a picture of them and Mike Pence from when Mike Pence was, you know, in Grand Rapids or whatever, you know. And I go, okay, well, that's, I had no idea this person was a Trump supporter or whatever. Sure. But you have to, if somebody were to say something to me that, you know, in in that, um, at that forum uh, or in that venue, I would have to, what am I going to do? Challenge them in their home and I just play the concert for them or I'm about to play a concert for them. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. (laughs) It's true. Thank God for mobile deposits. (laughs) I do it right then. Well, no, I know. I'm not equating, uh, you know, somebody's offhanded political view, which might be incredibly offensive to sexual assault. But I, I, you know, but my point is I think in today's society, especially I'm trying to raise, uh, fortunately, uh, and again, uh, we were talking before the podcast started about how you just sort of nudge your kids in the right direction. Yeah, you, you don't guide really, them. Yeah, you guide them. So it isn't anything you can control, but I'm trying to, you know, my girls are strong, forceful, um, you know, stubborn, in a good way, women. Yeah. And um, and I forget where I was going with that, other than just um, I, I can't imagine them being challenged in a way that would incorporate the physical sort of freeze and assault of that, you know, right. and I don't want to, we don't have to go to a dark place, but I'm just trying no. to tie up your writing with, with your, that you needed a gateway. Yeah. And Channing was the, the other portal to this place that That's made right. it the song authentic, right? If you, yeah, it's all about authenticity. If, if I'm going to write a song, look, look, Springsteen's great at it. You know, he, here's a guy, he comes right out in the Springsteen on Broadway thing, and he says, look, I never worked a day in my life, you know, essentially. Yeah. You know, this is what I do. Right. And yet, listen to all of his songs, and there's this great authenticity to everything he writes about the factory workers and the sure. whole thing. And, it's, you know, that, the only thing that I can say that, um, that, that must have happened to him or must happen to him is that he, he listens to people and talks to people. And growing up, he probably, yeah. you know, he probably was a guy that loved a good story and that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that I like. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it's like to be this person or this person. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I wrote the song, The Freshman. I didn't go to college. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I don't even have that. Well, I would say, I would you challenge know? Springsteen if you were here and if you have any contacts, I would probably record him before, <laughs> before this ever sees the light of day. But the point is... Never be afraid to dream. <laughs> dream big, Brian. No, my point is uh, Springsteen can say he never worked a day in his life. And yes, yeah. if you look through the last 40 years of his life, it's been pretty amazing. But that guy's worked as hard as anybody in show business. And I w- I'm going to correlate that to you. Something that I admire very much about you is that getting back to your routine and your discipline, Yeah, you're writing all the time. It could be just sure. you're always creative. You're always kind of in your own head mm-hmm. and thinking about what, what channel do you want to, you know, is it, is it is an idea for a script or a character and a song or sure. both or whatever, and you're always grinding. And in today's music business, no one's going to do it but you. Right. And you have to make your own way. I tell my kids that all the time. Yeah. Never rely on, never rely on anybody else, even when it comes to creativity. You have to make your own way. You want to be an actress? Write something for yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Well, and there's, uh, there are a few parallels just in the creative industry, but I think that being a photographer or a video director or owning your own company is the same as being a musician. Sure. And that there's all those things. You have to put yourself out there. You have to take risks. You have to invest you, sometimes with no return, and you'll go in the hole, and you'll try again and again. And it's yeah. like there's no magic bullet. Yeah, how many times have you done stuff on spec? You know, well, today is a good example. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, you tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Huge risk. I'm, I'm thinking that. I don't know how many people are going to listen to this, but, uh, but the point is, I think at I'm some point... I'm not even going to listen to this. <laughs> I mean, how, the, your expecta- you got to lower your expectations. Yeah. A I'm podcast. Ho- Ooh, what's that? I'm so intrigued. I'm going to send it. I don't even think... Yeah. <laughs> it's Everybody's doing what is it, it, B. What Come is on. 2012? <laughs> We're cutting all this out. You know, I have the power of editing, so I can <laughs> yeah. have, I can always you take the power back. I did not read the contract because. <laughs> uh, but there was a point where I want to talk about when you were starting out, just in general. I don't have a time frame. Uh, I'm just relating it to also being an artist. Where at what point did you feel confident that you had something special? Detached from ego, because I think artists are sort of a, it's such an insular sort of introspective place and you think that what you want to give out to the world is of value and interesting to them. So there's kind of right. a very egotistical sort of conceit of to the world. Of course. But at what point, uh, detached from maybe uh, the inexperience and naivete, at some point did you cross that 10,000 hours sort of idea where you are competent and you are good and you have a voice and yeah. it's unique and it's different and it only gets channeled through you a certain way? As a writer, um, I think it happened uh, when I was in the Army, and I started working on a song called This Promised Land, and then that's the song that I, I gave a demo to Willie Nelson when I got out of the Army. A buddy of mine worked at a country uh, station, hmm. and uh, he, uh, he asked if I wanted to go get on Willie's bus because he was going to interview Willie, and I said, oh, it'd be amazing. I made a demo of the song I'd written while I was in the Army called This Promised Land. I thought it was right up the alley of his alley, uh, his alley because of the farmer. There was a farmer contingency to the whole thing. And then uh, Willie called me a few days later. He loved the song. But you did you have a band at this point? You were nobody. No, it was nobody. Point? No, no, it was just a just a singer songwriter. Yeah. I got my start at the Holiday and Bars at 16 years old. So right. I was playing Holiday and Bars. You know, people would say play James Taylor for a dollar. I mean, and I would play James Taylor for a dollar. You know, right. kind of thing. It was for tips. Was this when James Taylor was young? Was he a younger man okay. then? Anyway. <laughs> Don't make me pull out the fat jokes again. Because, uh, but but the, uh, I forgot where we were going with this. You were doing oh, you were asking me at what? Yeah, but at you were what asking point? me what, at what point do you get the confidence to say, I, I can actually write myself. I think it was at that point because it was Willie Nelson, for God's sake. You know, sure. we're crazy and, and these other great, great iconic songs. So when that guy says... This is a great song, and, and then I hear from a friend of his that, yeah, he, Willie listens to that song all the time at that time. I was like, wow, maybe I should, this is what I should do. And it's a terrible song. Yeah. That, this Promised Land was an awful, awful, I just, I, I, it's cringeworthy to me now. Hmm. Um, you know, it was what does all, that say about Willie Nelson? I wonder that he was losing it 30 years ago. God, God knows what's going on with that guy now. <laughs> He's recording. Uh, yeah, who knows? But, you know, but it's funny, you touched about it a couple of days. It was a great, great question, you know, and when you take ego out of it, because every single 
I think every single songwriter out there who's, who's out there performing thinks that their songs are the best thing, especially lead singers who, who write lyrics, you know. Yeah. yeah you're, they, they, they all, we all talk about the importance of the lyric. Like you, I could, anybody could sit in this stool right now and, and say that. Any lead singer would say the same thing. They, they talk about the importance of the lyric and the whole thing. But really, when, when I listen to their stuff, I go, they, they don't care about the lyric. It's Some more of a do, feeling. But, I, you, you know, know, with nostalgia and getting older and re-listening to catalogs from the 70s, 80s, 90s, sure. I'm often uh, surprised by how m- much I know a song, but I don't know the, all the lyrics. Yeah, same with know? me. Same with me. And it wasn't, a, or I finally now realize what a certain lyric meant. Yeah, like you know, in today's music with Same the with rap me. music, it's like some of it's so explicit. Yeah, and I was talking to somebody else a while back, and and we were doing a, uh, I was a mom of uh, somebody that was here when we were doing portraits of their kid, <clears throat> and they're like, yeah, but they don't know what they're saying, you know. And it's yeah. like, uh, it's kind of like brings me full circle to White Snake and Slide It In, you know. It's like we yeah. were all singing that, but we didn't know what that. Yeah, meant, you didn't realize you know? what that was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just crazy. But yeah. in terms of, I think... You what really you, dropped White Snake in on this important lyric about important... Uh, well... A conversation about important lyrics. It is, <laughs> it is going to be played at my wake. <laughs> Slide it in the coffin to the ground. It's a new... Perfect. Yeah. It's a rebirth <laughs> of both that song and the catalog. Um, but no, I think... Um, but I think the, the, there was a lot of grind before you got to that. Point. And then take sure. me after Willie Nelson. So you get this boost of confidence, and Willie didn't record yeah. it, but he, but he, you know, he's like validated you in some way. Yeah. So how did you further the ball down the, the field? The first thing I did was I formed a band, uh, much to the chagrin of the people that you know the the DJ and uh, was uh, Tim Brown and his brother Kevin Brown. They they ran uh, Trans and Music in Kalamazoo. Great guys, I mean, really lovely guys, and recorded my first. Um, songs, and I did some jingles for them and that kind of thing. Uh, but they, I said I form, I want to form a band, and they're like, "What? What do you mean you want to form a band? You get, you just got this great vote of But I want to be in a band. I wanted to be in a band. I mean, I've always wanted to be in a band. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I wasn't ready for the solo thing. And and um, and when Willie, you know, when when it came down to it, Willie didn't have a record label. There was nothing he could do with my music, and they were going back and forth. Well, what can we do with Brian or whatever? Willie essentially just said, "Listen, Brian's not going to need me need my help. Right? He's going to be fine." Yeah. And you know that was Willie's way of saying, "I can't do anything for him, guys." You know, to the guys that were running my show back then. But that again was another boost of confidence. Ironically, for yeah. me, was that I'm not going to help Brian. He's going to be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, well, really, Willie, Willie, you know, they told me that. And they were all very disappointed. I was like, well, uh, yeah. what's disappointing about that? Willie thinks I'm going to be fine. And I've had that too, where they, you, sometimes I'll meet with somebody who's just starting out or they're in college or, almost, or they're graduating or just graduated. And sometimes it's like they just want to assist or hang out or around. I'm like, you don't need, even need me. Like, you should just yeah. grind it out <laughs> yeah. and do it. Yeah, because you know. You have enough of a base yeah. to go do that. They don't want to hear that necessarily because they're still, you know, it would be great if he decided to record your song and put it on an album and get some sure. money. And, you know, yeah. that would have helped too. We all yeah. need money. But, yeah, but in terms of just a validation, that's a pretty huge check mark for huge, you to go off of. Huge. And to be able to, I guess, parlay that into something or some sort of a career. At the time, you have no idea what you're doing. 
you know, this is early 90s, 91, and it's like the music at that time was not, it was not a particularly good time for music. A lot of boy bands, you remember New Kids yeah. and all that stuff. And then, um, and then hair bands came in, right? Hair I bands, know. too. I mean, it was not a good time for singer songwriters or lyricists. Right. Um, it was very corporatized at that time. Very much so. And until Nirvana really broke everything open into the mainstream and introduced grunge and, and um, that kind of thing, that was when I said, okay, this is it. This is my time. Because yeah. I, I just got introduced to the Pixies. Mm-hmm. You know, the Doolittle album was on heavy rotation at that time in yeah. 91 or 92. And Bob Mould, you know, of Husker Du, his solo record, and these other guys that, that nobody really knew about in, you know, that was like a date, and it wasn't a date in Ohio uh, kind of yeah. like explosion. Yeah, it was. That was limited in scope, but yeah. like that was a crazy time. Yeah, in the 92, 93, you know, I think the Guided by Voices album, the B-1000 album, there's another, I think that was another Dayton band, right? Guided by Voices. Yeah, I think, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and uh, I, was, I was blown away. I was blown away because there's a, this B-1000 record was a recording of, it sounded like demos and it's crappy recordings, but yeah. the songs were so fun and good and only right. mi- a minute, minute and a half long. And I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is all we need. Yeah. You know. I Turns want to go back wasn't. farther though, because when yep. did who taught you how to play guitar, and where did you begin to write? Like, who did anyone help you write, or you just started like putting words down? Or did you formalize yeah. that process in terms of learning guitar, or piano? Or? Well, guitar, you know, there's an excitement to um, learning your first chord and then realizing that you can play something. And so the first song I learned was "By the Time I Get to Phoenix" by Glenn Campbell. It was in a book my brother had. I was in third grade. And it's only two chords. It's like two chords. Yeah. And I was like, and, it, and it's like E minor, you know, which is the easiest of all the chords. You know, there's two fingers on it. Um, and it didn't hurt my fingers to play it, you know, that kind of thing. And so I bring my guitar to school and I'm playing, by the time I get to Phoenix, to girls, you know, out in the playground. You know, little girls <laughs> gather around me, you know. It was like the most ridiculous thing. And then I learned how to play like theme songs. Right. Happy days, you know, yeah. one, two, three o'clock, four, yeah. you know, the early happy days before it's that. the campfire, like you're the star at the campfire. That's right. You know? That's right. But the, the intoxicating thing was that it was girls. Yeah. I was, they were seated around me and then they'd say, can you play this or do you know this or whatever? And I wouldn't know it, but I, yeah. you know, deflect it in some, some way, you know, and play something else. Uh, play a couple chords of I Honestly Love You or whatever, whatever <laughs> Seasons in the Sun or whatever other bullshit was going on. Right We're getting back to that honesty conversation <laughs> yeah, in yeah. relationships. Well, it really, even back then, it was about the girls. Yeah. You know. Sure. And, uh, and, and that feeling of... Uh, I say I, that like a photographers have that problem. Yeah, or like me. Oh, yeah, you're swatting them away. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I should tell, I'll tell you this really quick. Yeah. When I was in junior high school, I was, you know, I was six foot five. And I weighed, I weighed 50 pounds less than I do now, and I'm already thin. I probably weighed 150 pounds, six foot five, and I had an afro. Like it was, it was a popular thing in Middleville, Michigan, to get a fro, yeah. to get a permanent. Of course. And I went to Grand Haven. Right after your grandma was done in the chair at, the, right. at, the, at the hair yeah, salon. I still remember that smell you... and how it, yeah. <laughs> the and rollers. The, the rollers. I had the rollers and everything. And then, then we moved to Grand Haven where that wasn't popular. And so what I did was I, I used to love photography. So I had a had a pretty nice little. Um, it was either a Nikon or some some other camera, whatever, easily operative camera that never had film in it. 
Mm. And I would take, I couldn't afford film. So I would take the camera to school and pretend like I was taking pictures. And then I would tell girls, hey, I'm, I, I got an opportunity to take pictures of you for teen magazine or teen, really? yeah, 19 magazine or 17 magazine or whatever. A total front. It was oh, a total, total show And there game. was never any film in the camera. Yeah. But that was a way to make, make that connection when I couldn't bring the guitar to school anymore, you know, where yeah. it wasn't cute when a, you know. Yeah. It was cute when a third grader brings a guitar to school, but when, you know, but when a six-foot-five Q-tip-looking <laughs> asshole shows up at school with his guitar. Yeah. Trying to play by locker number three, yeah. 313, no, you know, just happen. whatever. So, anyway. Well, um, I, I wanted to tell... Yeah, sure. Sorry, the video camera's got to reset really quick. Um, let's see if I'm still recording. Got to do it again. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> kind of rinky dink <laughs> operation. Hey, I never promised I was good at this. Nice. I was. Just Broken. I'm just, uh, I always bring in the big guns first, the local big gun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just to kind of kick the tires. <laughs> <laughs> kind of test some gear out, see what happens. Lux and I were talking about that last night about the, you know, getting a mention on, getting a mention on Fallon, getting a mention on that Ellen DeGeneres show or whatever. And now people are so excited and blown away by that and it's a hard it's that's kind of a hard thing to take because you go you know we're we're not a local band i mean i realize that i shop at dnw and you see me here and i go into people's homes but we do have some sort of name recognition no i know and i do want to talk i mean i'm actually dovetailing to west michigan because i think um i've known you now i think maybe 12 or 13 years it's been a while and we've worked together on i've shot some album art some album covers for you and we've worked on some film projects, and we're just, whatever. If it isn't that, we sometimes hang out in birthday parties and things yeah. like that. But there is something about West Michigan that localizes not only their heroes. It, so you're, you're on a pedestal locally, but you're also the guy that they'll see, like, just this dynamic. And I know you more than other people, yeah. but, like, just that sort of, that sort of self-deprecation is always so close by in sure. the culture of West Michigan, yeah, always. where you can go off and be, you know. Well, that's a Dutch. That's a Dutch thing. Too, yeah. You know? Well, yeah, that's very ingrained in our community to just be like, you know. Yeah, dismissive of. Yeah. You know, of fame. Right. Which know? I think you've done a good job of absorbing and being. I've okay dismissed with. it so much that I'm hardly famous. <laughs> You're on my podcast. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Yeah. That's how much I've dismissed it. Here we are. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> no, you know, yeah. um, you know, Jeff Daniels, same thing. Yeah. Huge, famous, but when he's in Chelsea, let's talk. Let's yeah. talk. Well, finish that thought about Jeff. When he's in Chelsea, that, he's he's Jeff. He's himself. Jeff Daniels. Yeah. His dad owned the you know the lumber company. Or it was a lumber yeah. company, I believe. You yeah. know, uh, Daniels Lumber or whatever it was. I might be uh, mistaken there, but he's just he's that guy. Yeah, and he loves that. And well, I, I get that twice too. Teaser. You know, you can be. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he's got his own little Kennedy compound now with his kids. You know, his both yeah. his uh, both his sons live there. Yeah. Um, and houses next to him with their wives, and it's a great. It's a just a great vibe there, and really nice. What was nice about that is stuff. he was one of my first really big celebrity shoots that I had, and randomly I oh, knew you're that. Oh, you're welcome for that. No, that I'm getting to how it happened, <laughs> you dick. 
is <laughs> we uh, you called so, me up. So a magazine, no. So it was nice that uh, I was going to pay you a compliment, and then and then you make it so hard. Uh, I know because yeah. I know the compliment's coming. That's the self-deprecation <laughs> in action. No, my point was I I was going to. I got a call to do a magazine shoot for a guitar aficionado magazine. Jeff has a great collection of Gibson guitars, and they're going to feature him at his home in Chelsea on this beautiful lake in the compound that you mentioned. But I knew that you knew him, and I don't actually recall how you met him, but I knew that you knew him, and so I was like, hey, I just came out of the blue this shoot for a guitar aficionado. I got to go down to his house. What's he like? You know, I was Mm -hmm. just trying to get a temperature on it. And then you've had this long recording and writing history with him. So, and you're both Michigan icons, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you're both, but truly, you know, in your own fields, there, there you can point to, you know, twenty or thirty people in whatever genre, business, and whatever that are are mm-hmm. really, really respected and stay here, and live here and contribute to your communities, right. But how did you how did you even get to know Jeff? And then I want to talk a little bit about the last album you put out last year with him. Jeff saw a documentary that my buddy Devin was Gummer it Karma made. Generator. <laughs> no, was it my documentary I made with you? No. You know he probably saw that and killed the shoot. That I was supposed <laughs> no, to do. he. Uh, I don't even know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, that probably primed his pump for something. Some great documentaries. <laughs> Like lawn chairs and living rooms, which my other buddy, Devin Gummersall, who I've not done a podcast with yet. Yeah. Devin um, doesn't have, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have he it. He doesn't have it for the podcast world. Do you know his history? Do you know him right? I, I was on met him my once at your life. house. He was on My So Called Life, and he was Brian Krakauer on My So Called Life. And my wife was, my wife is just was enamored. <laughs> and she loved that show when she was a kid. And now she got my daughter, Evie, into it, who's 13. And now they're, every time Devin's around, they're just, they're, on the inside, I can tell their jaws are just dropped. Really? Which, you know, and you're is nothing. my so-called. That, that, I'm, you're just I'm zero to them. Yeah. They could care less. So back to Jeff Daniels. Yeah, sorry. Uh, anyway, he saw that documentary, and he was, uh, and he called me up. We had, we had the same agent at that point, um, musical agent. And he called me up, and he said, man, I really love that documentary. Wow. And, uh, and I said, Karma Generator? And he said, no, that piece of shit. <laughs> Long chairs For the audience, I made yeah. a documentary with my brother Brad about the making of your self-titled solo album called Brian Vander Ark. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were down in North Carolina in Little Switzerland with a famous producer, Bill Simzik. Anyway, anyway, we were talking about Lawn Chairs and Living Rooms documentary, <laughs> uh, about the house concert series. And, and Devin f- followed me around uh, and I did seven, happened to do seven shows in two days, you know, or maybe three days. I think Friday that was in there, but Friday through Sunday, including the, the cap of the whole thing was a, a verve pipe show down at Kalamazoo. Uh, and anyway, um, Jeff saw that documentary, called me up and said, I really love the documentary. And I said, I appreciate that. I've always liked your work. And that's how we were introduced. And then we said, let's write, like, write something together. And we wrote something together. Yeah. Uh, we wrote a song called My Little Town. Which is funny because I, I had this idea for uh, a song, Grand Rapids. I actually wrote that for uh, me. bit for you. Yeah. yeah. That bit for you for the It was a corporate production. project, but yeah, yeah. But it turned... So I think you made 
we used kind of a rough version, and then uh, you kind of reskinned it yeah. for a solo album later. Well, yeah, because you, the version I gave to you was just a chorus, I think. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want to expand this, because I right. do like this a lot. And it was about Grand Rapids, and yeah. I told Jeff that. I said, Jeff, I got the song, you know, I got the chorus for this song about my little town, and, you know, with a big heart, and that's what I feel about Grand Rapids and everything. And he said, yeah, I think we should make it about the war in Afghanistan. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like a huge left turn. And so then we did, but but the idea was that he gave me a story. Yeah, like he he said, this is what this is where a story is right now. You yeah, know, he put a larger narrative. On yeah, it. much larger narrative. On it. Yeah. Very very well put. Um, and then the next time I wanted to do something, I had this I had this chorus for a song called uh, "Overboard." And I, had a, so I had a chorus of I, "There's a girl in Michigan up in Lake Superior," and I I, say, I think I sang it to him over the phone. I said, yeah, "This is this is what I have," and I don't know what she's doing there, but it's just beautiful scene. I love. I was just up north and love Lake Superior, and it just seems like a really nice summer day. And she's in the water, and he, and he said, "Yeah, maybe she's dead." Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And then once I wrapped my head around, it's like, there's the story. Right. Like, that's the but story. She's in Lake Superior. Because I actually watched that video, which is kind of a dark video last night. I was, I was, yeah, I, believe it or not. Carol. Brilliant. I, Another brilliant Michigan guy. Yeah. This director. And I was going to make a joke that, believe it or not, I did try to prep for this. I know you can't oh, tell, yeah. but like, I did watch that <laughs> yeah. video, which is shot in a very particular way. And the characters, it's a dark video. Very dark. And kind of unusual in the costuming and the, yeah. and the narrative is loose. And yeah. I still don't understand the guy in the wheelchair, which I, no, love the, I love the aesthetic of that with the light over it. That's who Lawrence Carroll is. Yeah. Lawrence, do you know Lawrence at all? I don't. I just know you have some paintings of his, right? Well, Lawrence did. He was the set design uh, designer for uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. He worked with uh, Sam. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right, and then he did a lot of those videos in the '90s at that time. Got he it. did our video for Photograph, which has a very similar tone to the Smells so you've Like known Teen Spirit. Him way back then. Yeah, he was he was our he was first there. video ever. Wow. Video director, and he he has a, a home up in Marquette. Michigan, and he's got a oh, home yeah. in Italy as well. So, and he's a like a really famous artist now in the yeah. art community. Well, People I enjoy the pieces in your home. Yeah, beautiful and there's stuff. sort of a color aesthetic from the one that I'm thinking of as a large scale piece that he gave you. Yeah, but that palette is sort of consistent in the video that of, of that overboard video, and I love yeah. that it was a it was a verb pipe song, right? Yeah. Or you put it on a verb pipe album. We did when I wrote it when when I wrote it with Jeff. I said, I think, I think this is going to be a verb pipe, uh, verb pipe song because the tone and the mood and everything seemed like that, and I already had Lawrence in mind for this. Yeah. Because Lawrence and I had talked about doing another video, and uh, he and I thought, man, he would if anybody would get that, he's already up there. He lives in Lake Superior. So right. This is perfect. And yeah. uh, and I thought, well, we'll make it a verb pipe song, and we'll you know we'll go that that. Did route. you have to fly him back from Italy to? to I did do not. <laughs> I had to wait. Of course, we did that. You know, we shot that in... I could not believe... Okay, so if, if, if you're... Li- just YouTube search uh, Overboard and by the Verb Pipe. And you this don't video- have to search that deeply. Okay, I just... You know, you're going <laughs> to... The you way do you have said to type that was like... In. You just, you, no, it's going to be really hard to find. All right. <laughs> I'm regretting that we decided to do this. Just no, type uh, in. Type it in. Type it in over type in overboard and, and then TVP, even shorten it down. Don't even type in the verb pipe. Right so, uh, but no, the the video is it's freezing cold, winter. 
I don't know who the f- main female character That's is. That's his daughter, Rory. She in the wa- in the freeze like Trooper. and if you're not from Michigan as yeah. a, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening outside and globally to this podcast. Yeah. It is very it, the landscape what I love about Michigan is is the variety of terrain and seasons. Of course. But now especially now as we're recording this it's it's middle of winter. Yeah. And it looks arctic or antarctic, it is. you know, mm-hmm. and and she was in I love this she, boat and the rowing and just and then she got submerged in the water. She's and I in just the water, Lake Superior, how had to be surrounded dangerous. by ice, and she was she's floating on a mini ice berg, right? And uh, she there was some stuff that didn't even make it in that was just unbelievable. I mean, it was I I got in the water too. I had to I I, I got up to my neck in the water, and we never used that. And I was like, oh, my God, I kept yeah. telling people, I'm in Lake Superior up to my neck, you know, in a wetsuit or whatever. But she she was a trooper. It's a beautiful, that's a beautiful video. That's one of my favorite videos. And, you know, mm-hmm. a video like that back in the day, that's 100,000 hours. Easily. Yeah, sure. Easily 100,000-hour video. And I, I wrote a check, I think, for 15 grand, and we got all that video for that. This is because... Lawrence I just want wanted, to talk to you about some of the budgets I've received from you. Anyway, and they weren't. Lawrence wanted to near uh, fifteen thousand dollars. But the point is, is like that I, I, you could well, knock a zero for off his of that, <laughs> and I'm not even sure that we even got to fifteen hundred for some of these. We'll never work together again. <laughs> you have your reasons. Well, you for that. take your free reasons. money back then, sir. But the, but the point is that uh, Lawrence does that stuff. Because he's at that place in his life where he doesn't do it for, to make the money. Sure. Bill Simsek, another great example. Yeah. Bill, I did, never paid Bill a dime to produce the two solo records. He didn't charge me as a producer, which yeah. Bill is a fifty thousand to hundred thousand dollar producer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, not, Especially when you live at his house, yeah, he's charging you rent. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, but but I've come to that place too, where you do things that you want to do. Yeah. Retirement for me, and I think for I'm, I'm speaking for guys like Jeff Daniels. You, you probably just at this point in your life, you say, well, here's how I'm going to retire. I love working. My retirement's going to be, yeah, I did that gig last year. I'm not going to do that again. Right. That's no, you how, have, that you have the freedom to be able to turn things down. Is, is that's choices. retirement. Yeah. They'll never retire. Right. And guys like Lawrence Carroll, they, they can't help but create. Jeff right. can't help but act. Right. I can't help but write. Yeah. I mean, I, it's always going to happen. It's in there. Yeah, and I think that's part of the grind, too, which brings me... A couple of things that you've hit upon that for the broader audience, which I've admired that may not know as much about your arc, is that when the band sort of imploded is the wrong word, but when the band ran out of gas and you did some solo stuff, you had to reinvent how you were going to derive income and Mm -hmm. survive as an artist. I think you, what I really admire is that you, you bootstrapped it, figured it out, you're doing... I think you're one of the first artists, I think it's a model that's mirrored quite a bit, but to really do the lawn chairs and living rooms where you opened yourself House up concerts, to, the, yeah. Yeah, to, the, to yeah. the fan base and just said, yeah. I'll, I'll come play for whatever amount you were charging. I'm sure it wasn't yeah. a lot to start, but it was just, but I remember one, you did like 70 or 80, 80 dates in, in a summer, you do two or three on a weekend. 110, that was my, that's the record, 110, that was three or four a day on the weekends. And that saved you. You know, I mean, oh. I don't want to say people perceive you as a successful rock star, but I think underneath that is there was a lot of grind and hustle to, to make oh, ends man. meet. And you, st- you started a family and you got yep. married. And, you know, yeah. like, so underneath 
the veneer of what people perceive of you is this guy who's hustling as hard as you everybody. You realize you just said, you just named two Verve Pipe songs. Veneer. Underneath and Veneer. <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> I thought you did that intentionally. I really? Was, but I saw in your eyes you didn't. You just <laughs> no, threw it out there. It's a blank, empty. That's how many songs I've written. That's what's the sad thing. Is like You I've don't own words, single. Vander Ark. Okay? <laughs> I can use whatever words I have in my power. It doesn't have to write. You're so egotistical. No, I'm just kidding. There again, that is another song. (laughs) Um, Have you written a song called "I'm Unsufferable"? (laughs) (laughs) That's coming. That's coming. You just filled. You just filled one of the puzzle holes. You're gonna go back to the notebook tonight. I'll help you find it. What rhymes with insufferable? But no, in all honesty, you've been, you've inspired me at points where I knew I was doing, you know, you have these momentums where things kind of snowball and things are easy. And then that snowball just sort of breaks apart at some point. It's not anybody's fault. Right. You just have some good timing and some good things happen. And then there's a vacuum. I had one last year. It was really, really hard. I didn't know where that came from. I hadn't really been a downslope for uh, I was on an upward trajectory for six to seven consecutive years, and then all of a sudden I'm like, what happened these first two quarters last year? And I was like, and right. then it ended up okay because of the back end, but I was like, you don't know. And my point is is that you just kept, you keep creating through all that stuff. That doesn't really to, yeah. start. Um, and, then, and then that's not immediate, as you know, create, yeah. creative income is never immediate. Yeah. It's like I can't just go and work for a day and get a paycheck at the end of the day. Right. Well, you You have to put together some, you know, a larger plan and it's pumping a well, you know, do a lot of dumb metaphors. But But if you're sitting around and, you know, you're you're at a point where you you can't pay your mortgage, if it's that if that quarter, uh, you know, of income happens to be that bad, where it's like at the end of the quarter, you're like, holy shit, I can't, you know, Um, but you, the whole you industry blew up. Uh, so at the same time, the entire industry, uh, Napster and all this other stuff, like oh, it, yeah. it all blew up all around you. There's nothing but shrapnel around you in the mu- music industry. And yeah. you found and and reintroduced yourself to your base, fan base, and just uh, started from s- something. And now, to take it full circle, you're touring with the band more successfully than than yeah, since the nineties, yeah, been, that's that's where we are again, which is nice. Yeah, and but you know, here's the thing too. You know, you talk about the way that the I think the music industry imploded. You know, for a time there, they had to, the, the whole industry had to figure out how they're going to make money once the internet, once music became, became free, which it is yeah. essentially free. And uh, anybody that's anybody that was holding on to you know the the fame they had in the nineties, any of my other um, you know um, comrades during that time, you know. My peers during that time, um, if they didn't figure it out back then like I did, they're in a much, much, much worse place today than they were 10 years ago because streaming, you know, we got, we got um, 4 million streams in one, speaking of quarters, 4 million streams in one quarter. I got a check for $200. So imagine if I didn't have anything else to fall back on other yeah. than my royalties. Yeah. You know, so I'm it's fortunate over. that it's all paying off all that work 10 yeah. years ago, the hustling and everything mm-hmm. to be able to do what I want to do and maintain because there is no money in making music and selling music anymore. Yeah. And once something's free, which essentially it is for most of us, mm-hmm. you, you can never charge for it again. It, it's over. That's a great point to start. Did you want to restart or not? I know we got uh, 12 minutes. 
Oh, okay, cool. Um, no, but I, yeah, and I think that's where it even got stripped down. I think in the, the complications of life and technology and the internet connectivity of everything, it really went that you rebuilt a base by meeting people, individual family to campaigning. family. Campaigning. It's campaigning. Yeah. Political and, campaigning. It's and going into how, kissing babies. That's what it is. I know you enjoy the performance of that stuff, but at some point, what did you end up, you know, I mean, there had to be times where you like, why face, am I doing I know you enjoy performing. I was like, oh, no, but I mean, I meant the performance <laughs> of the lawn chairs and living room. Like it was what you were doing yeah. and focusing. You're doing less now because you're busier with the band and other things. Sure. So you're not doing as many individual dates. And no, I still more. do about four, 30 or 40 house concerts a year. Yeah. But, and then... But there was also, I think, people would look at while well, you were opening for Kiss at one point and yeah. going around, and you're on MTV and Letterman and sure. Leno and all those things, and then now you're, you know, you're standing, you're playing for 25 people in somebody's backyard while they're barbecue. Mm-hmm. How, how did you reconcile that, or was it all cool because you're making money with music and playing guitar? Um, well, I think that you tell yourself, no matter what you do, you say, "There's a greater good here at play." I have to do this. I, you know, there are times when I've done house concerts where somebody thought it was something different and I was background noise. And I haven't been background noise since I worked at the Holiday Inn, right. you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and that, those situations don't happen nearly as much, but in that first year, yeah. you know, I was doing 110 of these or whatever, you know, I'd play to an audience where nobody was paying attention. I've been nobody to one in, in and locally. Song to song. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I'm glad you brought it. I wasn't going to bring it up, but there was one where, one in particular that I was, where it was kind of if you drew a point in between my house and your house, it was about halfway in between. And I, forget, I went to take some photos of the house concert. And I couldn't believe, I'm like, you have, in my mind, I'm thinking, you have Brian Vanderark playing all this amazing music quietly in your backyard. Not quietly, but just, you know, sure. in terms of the setting, so it's not a concert hall. Yeah. yeah. And people are standing around drinking beers and talking about, like, how, how many fish they caught on the lake. And I was yeah. just like, talking, yeah. oh, and like, what is, this is crazy. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. And they're not all like that. I'm just saying that. No, in fact, I would say that that's, you know, 5%. Yeah, 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 that's definitely the exception. But here's the thing. They're, they're not, a lot of times they're not interested in the music. Yeah. They're interested in him, Brian Vanderek, in their home. Yeah. And they'll talk about that. Which is and they'll hard. Talk, and they'll yeah. talk about it during the show. <laughs> Isn't this the greatest thing that Brian Vanderek said? Oh, my God, I remember seeing him back and blah, 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 the whole time while I'm playing. That happens at concerts now. You know, we did an Aware Records 25th anniversary show because we were on Aware Records with, like, Hootie and the Blowfish, you know, all these unsigned bands, right, early in the day, better than Ezra and all that, whatever. Yeah. And I just did that in Chicago or House of Blues. And people talked through the entire concert of these five, six different bands. Vertical Horizon was there, you know. Yeah. Stir was there, these, all these other bands. And they talked the entire time. And Channing was with me. And Channing was like, I can't believe this. They're talking. I said, those are those people. Those right. are the aware people of like, oh, I saw that band back in so-and-so and blah, 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 blah. And they talk the entire time and don't hear a word of music. Right. Yeah. You know? they're, they're enjoying the experience of being there, the nostalgia of being there. Yeah. They're not interested as much in the actual song. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think as an artist, you... And a business person, you understand that. And it, I guess there's a point sure. where you go like, you know, fuck this, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Because why? And then at some point, Plenty you're like, times. well, there are those people in the audience. 
But there are those people that are there because they really want to hear the songs and reconnect to them again. And so it's not like everybody. But the point is, is that it can be a bit um, uneven in terms of that audience. And you go, what's the value? And sometimes it is all that. It's part of the larger campaign, right? Of just life and doing things. And some things are great and some things aren't. part of the larger campaign, but also it's an opportunity for me to get inside of my head and be creative and try something different that nobody's paying attention to. Yeah. You know what I mean? I could try a new melody here. Yeah. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try a different phrasing on this song. I'm going to play this song that nobody cares about anyway that I'm working on right now, you know, that's not finished. But nobody cares, yeah. so why not try and see what my voice sounds like through the PA system and that kind of thing. That's there's there's always ways to make yourself feel like you're being productive. Yeah, and I think I, that's my takeaway from that is it doesn't matter. You're going to maximize your time whether you're up at four in the morning, you Absolutely. know, making your tiny little espressos that I've seen in yeah. the little cups. But yeah. the uh, still doing that. I know. But the uh, but the point is is that you're going to find something of value and. Uh, there's still that work ethic underneath it. Maybe that's, sure. is, is there anything in Dutch West Michigan about that? About just like. This? Well, there's a Midwestern ethic I firmly believe in. Yeah. I believe that these, this in the Midwest, these are these people. I mean, when you think of, when you think of New York city, you know, when I think of New York, I think of uh, people that live in Manhattan or whatever and have, you know, I, I think of the high rises and the people that have the great building or maybe that they're, uh, what's, the, what's the term, a rent controlled and that kind of thing, or they've been there forever, their families have been there forever, old money, that kind of thing. And you don't think about them hustling, work, 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 work. What I, and when I think about Chicago, totally different thing. Mm-hmm. I think about Chicago. I think about, you know, hardworking, city of the shoulder, you know, it's yeah. Carl Sandburg, right? City of the big shoulders, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's how I think that's the Midwest. I feel like that that's who we are, is that... It takes me back to a time uh, way before I was a photographer. I worked at a Meyer store in on Muskegon. I worked at Meyer too. That's so funny. Yeah, of course so we did. Retail, yeah, of course. But then I moved to do I talked about Dayton, Ohio? As I moved to Dayton, Ohio with Meyer, and I was a manager. But what, one thing I noticed that just a simple thing, and it struck me when I was twenty three years old or twenty two years old when I was doing this. I was just a stupid department's level manager in a store you know I ran the photo and video department and but I had a staff and I would hire them and but uh, walking around like doing store tours and things like there was a certain pace that everybody walked that I walked like through a store working in retail and then (laughs) I moved to Dayton Ohio and I was like doing a lot of trainee programs or like there was there was a new market they were building new Meyer stores at the time and this is not it's a boring story but my point is is that I would take off on a store tour, and after like 30, 45 seconds, I'd turn around, and they're like 100 yards behind behind me. I'm like, and that never happened. Absolutely. I mean, mean, that's part of the Midwest, too. I'm walking. It's not like I was running. That's Ohioans. Ohioans. I don't like Ohio. (laughs) Actually, I feel that way about Indiana, right? (laughs) I feel the same way. All right, well. But I know what you I know yeah. what you mean, you know. Well, there's something in the DNA here. I, that's a I think different. that has to do with Michigan. Of course it has to do with Michigan. Yeah. Um, and uh, why we have feel like we have to hustle and walk a little faster and you know, get from point A to point B faster, that can be that necessarily that isn't always necessarily a great thing. Yeah. Because we miss a lot of things on the way. You're not enjoying life. Lux, my wife Lux taught me that a long time ago. Talked to me about the process and how 
you have to enjoy the process. When we first got married, she was a musician. Um, still a musician, but she retired. She's amazing, then. by the way. She was amazing. Um, but back then, she wanted to do the, you know, the two-inch tape machines uh, with recording and the old-school recording. She didn't like the digital thing. And I'm like, this is crazy. Why, why would you do that? You know, it's costing so much more money. And it's like, you know, it, you know, it sounds just as good to do digital. And, and she's, she was always like, well, I enjoy the experience of it. And I never got that until four or five years ago, where you have to just enjoy the experience of it. For me, it was always the process to get to a place to sell the product, to get mm-hmm. to the next thing, next project. And now it's about enjoying the process, and it took me that long to figure it out. You know? so. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I'm sort of impatient. I'm, I'm sensing that probably you are too as a creative. It's like once you're into a project, you want to barrel through it so you can release it and get it out exactly. and then do the next layer exactly of whatever right. cake you're trying to build. Yep. And that impatience sometimes is, is my worst enemy. Me too. And yeah. Sometimes intentionally, even like having Mark here help light our photo shoot, it slows things down. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, um, in that even sometimes frustration sometimes about how long something might take. And we only shot for 15, 20 minutes. But the point yeah. is um, I, I think we have a tendency to just like steamroll over some things and it's in that space that vacuum sometimes Mm -hmm. where you can readdress and regroup even though it's frustrating yeah so as a writer are there points where you're sitting in that uh, what talk about writers if you had a serious case of writer block in your career where you just couldn't pick it up and express anything that meant anything i mean it depends on if if i need something done and you know for if i need if i have a deadline or i've set a deadline if we're if we're going into a studio at this time and i don't have the songs right ready it was a very good example of writer's block when we did this follow-up album to the villains album which was the big album it was Mm -hmm. a writer's block going on there because of the pressure but, um, was that when you locked yourself in a moving storage garage? Uh, no, I did that before. Uh, that Where was, was that garage, by the way? That was a state mini, state mini storage in Lansing, Michigan, and a lot of bands, you know, a lot of bands did that. And I didn't live there. I lived there. You lived. There. I got kicked out of the, my girlfriend's apartment. And, uh, and I was like, I'll show story. her. I'm going to yeah. go live in a storage unit. I don't need her. You know, I'll ridiculous. So. Pee on a tree across the parking lot. That's right. Uh, or in You're bottles. stubborn. Yeah. I am. But there were a lot of bands that did that. A lot of bands that rehearsed in those storage units. I mean, you, I would love to do a portrait doors. of you in front of that storage unit. We go back there anytime. Is it? I there? know. I think I know. No, you know the key. The no, I gave, we gave it up. We gave it up. I think in 2014 we gave up the storage unit. We took really? everything out. It was all antiquated fax machines and all that stuff from the 90s, and we <laughs> took all that shit out and we sold it. And so we don't even have it anymore. But it's there. It's not like oh, it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, we'll put that on our punch list when you have a $15,000 budget. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds great. We'll make your next video there. By the way, I had to raise money to do that. I I don't just write checks for $15,000. Not when you have a wife and, you know... Yeah, I know. I, kids, I, I you get it. Just write a check for fifteen grand. I know. Lawrence Lawrence somehow got a check for (laughs) $15,000. Yeah. Um, so we're at about an hour mark, right? Yeah. All right, we're, we won't go much longer. I just have a couple. Well, we're talking about me. We can talk as long as you like. But 
No, I know. You're not going to be able to pick up your chainsaw soon. You know? <laughs> yeah, what time is why is there a tight window to pick up a chainsaw? I, I don't know, because I'm just, right here. here building, here's what it is. No, you're building in an excuse. That's no, what it was. It was not. I, have a, I told you I have a hair appointment. That's, that's more important I understand. than a chainsaw. But you here's how my You think you get a hair appointment before your photo shoot. Like, no, why didn't you get cleaned up before? Well, no, I make my hair appointments well in advance. You don't know that about me. So I, I knew I you, you came guessed. up first. I mean, you came up after I already made my hair appointment. So there was no way. I said, oh, you got some time before my hair appointment. Are you going to think of this hair appointment is really great? And you're going to be like, Brian, can we do a reshoot? Because yeah. no. the lid is super tight. Look, now. when you've got this to work with, you don't, there's not much. Yeah, what a canvas. What a canvas. Yeah, um, all right, enough passive aggressivity. Um, so I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about, um, there's two things I want to make sure that we cover. Yep. Uh, your corporate speaking and your children. And um, so there was was the first talk that you gave, kind of talking about the roller coaster ride at Failure Lab. Was that yep. one of the first things? That was the first one. That was the first one I'd ever done. The first time I'd gotten up in front of a group without a guitar in my hand. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good way to put it <laughs> because yeah. that that is true. I mean, I don't think I've ever done that before. And I, I don't want to take credit, but I connect you to that organization. I appreciate that. And now you're on. You know, the funny thing is, tour. is like I, I don't, I don't do. Let's go have coffee, like I, I, unless it's a friend, like you. Yeah. If you want to say, hey, let's go have a coffee, and sure. Talk. But I, with new people, I don't, I don't sit down to lunch. I don't do coffee. I hate. I, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. So when you introduced me to those guys, great guys. Yeah. They said, let's let's go have coffee because that's what you do today. You know, and yeah. that's that's yeah. that's the playbook is yeah. you know meeting coffee shop. That's right. I shut that down. Good. I said no. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't say I don't do coffee. I just said yeah. no. I, it's, uh, don't, I don't have time or whatever. I don't yeah. want to do this or whatever. Let's, I'll just meet. Let's just talk about it a little bit when we're there because they wanted to do a little video shoot. While we're doing the video shoot is when I realized what failure lab was. Like I didn't know you were going to talk about your failures. Yeah. Right, I had no idea. I think it was the first one too, right? So yeah, I, I had nothing was, to yeah. go by. Yeah. So I show up and they're like, "Well, what do you want to talk about?" I was like, "I always talk about my successful, you know, house concert series." And they're like, "And <laughs> where's and the failure?" Like, and I was like, uh, then "Finally, I realized as we were talking, I was like, oh, this is about like yeah. making mistakes." Yeah. Uh, so that whole thing, it's a cool concept. Yeah, I great love, concept. It's like the ants for people that don't know. Failure Lab is a, it's an organization. They're sort of like TED Talks in reverse. And yeah. that you share your kind of your greatest failure or challenge without the anecdote at the end. It's not like, well, I went broke four times and now I'm a billionaire yeah. or I did this or that. You actually just leave the big egg on stage yeah. and walk off. Yeah. And people so, have to assess for maybe themselves. What, for themselves, you know, what he could have done yeah. differently or It could be whatever. personal. Like yeah. some people have, and I mean, the stories that they've shared are amazing. And I've, at times, and uh, another one uh, in East Grand Rapids, you you performed at, and I took port. So I would do portraits of people immediately after they came off stage and shared their greatest failure to an yeah. audience. Yeah. You know, and some of them hadn't verbalized their failings yeah. in any way, and it's confessed to this audience. Yeah. And then they come 
off stage in the literally and steps immediately from there. escorted in front of your <laughs> camera. It's like, <laughs> yeah. let's capture you now. But there was something in the in that sort of relief. There was relief and sort of uh, it's palpable to me at least in the portraits uh, of some of the people. Some of, some people always have to put on some veneer and for the camera. But yeah, but. Um, but it, that sort of dovetailed down the road of something that you've been doing a lot of now, which is corporate speaking. Yeah. And what is the arc now of your speaking engagement? How do people find you? Because you do have a, a, an interesting story, a rocket ship, this comet that took off in the late yeah. ni- in mid to late 90s. And then, you know, now you're a family man with children and, yeah. and still grinding and doing what you love. Yeah, the whole story is a reinvention. Yeah. talked about you know and that's why the corporate you know that's why the financial industry loves that yeah and there's also parallels between the financial industry and the music industry and that, that people um, file sh- or not people find their music online and people are self-investing you know investing by themselves not self-investing um so and they invest online and they don't need you know they don't need financial advice as much oh they sure get it all online so there's, there's those connections yeah, a yeah, lot of the, products. yeah uh but you know um that transition was from failure lab to doing the house concerts or whatever, talking about uh, my failure there. But I did, I did a house concert for somebody who worked for UBS, and he said, you know, you, you should think about going out and speaking and going and, and I'm going to bring you in, and I want you to come up with a 40-minute talk yeah. for this. And so I did essentially the same thing. I expanded that seven minutes of failure lab into 40 minutes, you know, yeah. played a couple songs in there too, and told the whole story. And it cha- it's changed my life. Again, there's something that started with the house concert concept right. and now I do you know I do about one a week yeah. of these corporate speaking and that's terrific not only financially for me but yeah. again I'm out campaigning so now it's more word of mouth that's how yeah. people find out about it is word of mouth that's great you should have him come in no other musicians really do this a lot of athletes do it corporate speaking but. well we were joking at the top about just being honest and I think that's at the core of um who you are in authenticity is that it's not easy to share. You could hide behind your success and pretend things are what they are, but the fact that you leverage this truer, rawer side of you and your struggle to where it is now can be inspiring, but you're allowing people in enough that they see you as somebody completely different and that they can relate to. Like I can't relate to being six, five and playing guitar and singing in front of people and I relate to the women swooning, but the of course it's a cross we bear together, I guess. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I don't know. But no, I the, that's what I admire about that is that you have to like you know, and you've done it with your writing over the years. Whether you took on a character, there's all parts of yourself in your lyric writing that is laid bare and uh, authentic. To some side of you, whether it's a dark yeah. side, an evil side. There, there's a, I ran, ironically, though, there's a branding there. That's my brand. Yeah. My brand is the guy that is um, open to talking about anything mm-hmm. and open, in, you know, and, and it is authentic. Although yeah. I have to say it's still a brand. And maybe I'm being authentic now by telling you that, yeah. that I'm aware it sells. That it sells. Yeah. It does sell. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it works. And it works for me. And I'm comfortable with that. Because yeah. there are so many other things that I do 
when I go in and I have a genuine conversation with people in their home, yeah. and I, you know, I really like your home and, and how long have you been here and I'm having nice conversations, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm yeah. interested in people's stories. Because, I've noticed that you about know, you and Tom. I enjoy I've been, that. Yeah, I've been at shows backstage. You're meeting people that you don't know. Yeah. But you have a way, which is, I think, a great quality, is no matter who you're talking to, and there might be 50 other people in the room just in the the periphery of the show and the energy and yeah. being around the band and you, is that you have a way of sort of slight, you do sort of feel like you're the only person that you're engaged with at the time. You're not wandering yeah. well, off. You and I think you have yeah, to and I think that that's, I'm not saying that you put that on, I'm saying that that's part of who you are that yeah. makes people want to connect with you. Well, car, uh, compartmentalizing each individual. Did I say that right? Compart- compartmentalizing? Yeah. That's okay. all those are words. Uh, for some reason, those are words that are coming out of my mouth, but are they correct? That word. For some reason, that word sounded weird. You That's know how my, like you say Alka-Seltzer that. over and over and over, it loses every bit of meaning, and you go, what am I saying? Anyway, so when you do that, when you're talking to people, especially when there's a lot of people, I do that every day because I'm, uh, I'm completely scattered and get overwhelmed easily. Yeah. Like, it, you know, my daughter has this, uh, I know you want to get into the family thing, that wasn't why I brought it up, but a nice transition. One of my daughters has that thing where she can't clean her room if it's too messy. Because oh, yeah, she can't yeah. focus on the one thing. Yeah, and so I'll have to go start? in, I'll have to say, I want you to pick up everything that's white and yeah. put it over, because that's how my head works. Yeah. So you have to compartmentalize, even when you're meeting people and talking to people. Yeah. I put the blinders on. Those are the people I'm talking. I'm not rubbernecking. Right. I'm not seeing who else is there. I'm aware yeah. there are other people here. And when you when this conversation gets to be too long, yeah. you're I have on. to be sure. able to move on. Yeah, yeah. But it's always about those blinders for me with everything I do. Yeah. I have to be there 100%. And I admire your stamina in some of those situations because, you know, a lot of it's the same. You know, people will ask you the same kind of things. All and that's a, but, Yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> but they don't feel that. They feel like you no. just asked that, you know, for the first time and you give them a candid answer. Yeah. And um, there was one other point I wanted to go back to that, if I can remember, was that, oh, uh, you, you taught me something early on, which you, you just exemplified why this silly offhand comment you made to me years ago it still resonates to me, is that you're saying you're, you're the guy in the band that broke up and came, you know, like the, the arc and the failure and the rise again and all this stuff. You've owned, you've, so you've owned this and turned it into something else. Right. And so... There was one point you came to my house, the house we live in now. You came to, we had just bought it and we were renovating it. And I had to have these, uh, they aren't these glasses. But I was very self conscious about a new pair of glasses that I bought. <laughs> what did I say? Eyeglasses. I'm such an And I was like, no, no, it wasn't even mean, but you said it so offhand. And I know this is why you don't remember it, but you just, it was such a moment that uh, it always has stuck with me even though I'm wrapped in all kinds of other insecurities yeah. about weight and stuff. But you, uh, I just said, uh, you, I, I opened the door for you and you're there and, and it's like, uh, hey, you got new classes. I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I mean, are they too trendy or what? I just, you know, I retreated into my insecurity about wearing these trendy new glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you just got to own it. <laughs> like you looked at me like the sad, pathetic yeah, thing. So, I I kind of remembered that, but if that if that's the situation, you can see in somebody. Yeah, you can see in somebody that they're like, oh, geez, you know, these are new, and I wish he wouldn't have noticed, or I'm kind of glad he noticed. It's like this whole neurotic. You're suddenly Woody Allen about yeah. everything. Yeah. 
you know. But that's a, but the way you said it was like it was with a little contempt and a little bit of encouragement, <laughs> and it was like everything's like you know, and it was something that you'd been doing your entire life at that point of just yeah. like. Dude, you just got to own it. Yeah. Like, either don't wear them or wear them and forget about it. It's, you know, honestly, that, you know, that is very, that's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom in that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. That's how no, I live my true. life. It you is true. have to live your life that way. Yeah. No, you I have like, to own it. Yeah, for sure. That's funny. Because people will call it, they'll, they'll call it on you. Um, I do want to talk about your family because I, we've had, we've watched our kids kind of grow up. Uh, yeah. Together or and separately, but in terms of like, um, my kids are a little bit older. My Evie is the same age as my youngest daughter, Faith. Mm-hmm. But I'm so impressed with Evie's. Like, she is an incredible performer, singer, mm-hmm. actress, yeah. uh, very much on stage. Uh, you know, I mean, in plays and productions, mm-hmm. and the level of maturity and drive that she has to to do that at mm-hmm. the level that she does it where where I know she sees you and Lux performing all the time but mm-hmm. where, where, that has to come from inside her you're not pulling her that's her own that. thing you know we we you know she's a, she was a showbiz kid from the beginning she was on the road with us with our with our Airstream show and she you know went everywhere and we took her to all the shows and even places where it wasn't appropriate to take her I mean mm-hmm. as far as the people say well it was a house concert or a listening room and I've got a baby there, but, you know, baby travels with us wherever we go. So she was in that. I don't know if any of that rubbed off. I think, I think it's just innate. I think she... It's in her DNA, collected between the well, both Well, I think of so, you. but She's I think... Wired that but way. also, I, you know, you have to give credit to her as well, is that she is very driven, and, and she, but she absolutely loves acting in, in Broadway. She, yeah. she loves the musicals, She's, and she's great at it. You know, she's not, listen, and, and, you know, there was a time, and I'll tell you this really briefly, there was a time, you know, six months, or, sorry, two years, about two years ago, when she was um, working on this uh, play, Fun, Fun Home, at the Circle Theater. A terrific musical. And uh, she was working, they were doing eight-hour rehearsals every day, and she's in school. Yeah. And she'd get home and do homework and whatever, and, get, and she's getting, you know, A's and B's in school still. And my mind was like, why isn't her room clean? Yeah. Evie, you've got to keep this room, you know, and, and like my head is at the room. Why isn't this room clean? Why is the room a mess? And right. Lux had to sit me down and go, look, <laughs> yeah. she's working yeah. eight hours a day in rehearsal and she's getting good grades. And I had to go, what, what the fuck is wrong with me? Of yeah. course. Yeah. And so you have to, I had to ease off it. Cheetos, yeah. you know, yeah. like watching YouTube videos. It's the same thing with math. She's not good at math. I'm not good at math. Yeah. Lux isn't good at math. She's, yeah. you know, if she's not doing well in math, who cares? I don't care. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, that's a great point. And I think it brings it back to being artists because I do feel that you follow the talents that are the least resistant, like water. You have yeah, to hone your skills, but you're not going to go play, you know, you're not going to go, well, I need to do a, a Spanish flamenco guitar next because yeah. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. You know, you're not. You're a better like, example of that is learning how to read music. Like, yeah. I don't read music. Yeah. And for me to take the time now to read music, I think it would be superfluous in my life. Yeah. I, th- I, I don't see any reason to do it. I, I, there's so much time consumption there where I could be doing other things that I enjoy more. And reading music, frankly, is math <laughs> it, right. to me. It, it's it's mathematics. It's so boring to me. I yeah. have zero interest in it. 
interesting. Yes, it's nice if you can sit down and play a song, like have my Elton John songbook from the 70s, sure. and play the black keys and the white keys and everything, and play it perfectly and sing along and stuff. There's value in that, too, for that moment. But it's more fun for me to like plunk it out and try to figure it out and listen to it a little bit and that kind of thing. It takes a little longer, but in yeah. the end, it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, you know, and like I, I couldn't go and paint. You know what I mean? Like I can do, right. do what I can do. I can't. Right. I, but that was channeled for me like a riverbed, you know, like sure. there was, it, yeah, it was yeah. something yeah. that. Like you said, uh, like water. You're yeah, going it, where it, it takes you, it the flows, flows and, the, and yeah. yeah, and energy. And I, I do believe that more as I've become less religious in the in the sense of West Michigan, of these of guidance and energy, and following. There's a reason certain things are easier than other things. So why right. pick up a hammer and hit yourself over the right. head about stuff that you can't do because of expectations that you should. Yeah, or, but people shouldn't misinterpret this as taking the path of least resistance. Correct. That's that's a totally. I'm talking about thing. yeah, and what you're you're mirroring is that drive of creativity yeah. that is drawing you in a particular direction is easier mm-hmm. to follow that current because it's almost pulling you along, yeah. as opposed to like swimming against it because you have some other thing master you're trying to serve right. out of that um so evie's this great kid willow is uh, dark, a classic middle child yeah. i mean my middle child is and much is different yeah maddie and and ha- i think evie and my hannah or my oldest are the classic Very oldest kids Very you know? and uh and then rowan so you have a yeah. a, a son who's a little bit after he's three now or three four? three he's almost four three and a half Great. And then you have an older son, Jake. Josh. Josh, sorry. And talk about that experience, because you were a father at a very uh, young age. Yeah, 19. 19. Yeah. You know, you get your high school girlfriend pregnant, and the right thing to do is to, you know, is to be the dad and be there and not abort. Right. It sounds really... um, for a callous way to say that, but that's essentially what it is. It's abort and start over. Yeah. And uh, I did the right, the right thing. I'm using the quotation marks here. Um, and uh, of course, th- thank God I did. Yeah. I did what I did because he's a great, he's a great, he's a guy now. He's, yeah. he's a great guy. Um, uh, but, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, I wasn't focused on family then. Right. I was much more interested in music and what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure myself out in 19, you know. I was in the Army at the time, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you go through your whole life, and, you, and, and you're worried. You know, there were times when I was worried he was calling me dad in front of other people. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, that's, you know, because, oh, I'm a musician. I can't, people know that I have a kid. Right. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, just stupid, stupid, terrible things as a father. Yeah. You know what I mean? I made those mistakes. Uh, with Josh, and that's that's very unfortunate. I mean, now I'm focused, of course, on the family first, and I'm re- I was ready for that. I wasn't ready yeah. for that back then. And unfortunately, you know, uh, whether Josh, Josh and I have a, a good relationship now, but you know, there's a period of time where we had a terrible relationship, and that was yeah. all my fault. Yeah, and sure. that's um, has that influenced? Um, is that something you've you've put aside, or is that something you've explored? 
to in your music or lyrics or that side of it or shades of that? No, perception? I mean the funny thing is, is that more than anything, I think I've complained about my own father in my music. You know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I haven't complained about my lack of being a good father. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's too close to me. Yeah. If that's too hard on my sleeve, I I, I don't know. But I've always taken uh, those other characters, like we talked about earlier, as a songwriter, uh, becoming another character. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm afraid of myself and getting that deep. I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily true because I feel like I am an open book when it comes to that. But. Um, it just doesn't seem that interesting to me. That's another thing, too. As a songwriter, you can do anything and anywhere, go anywhere you want right. to go. Why do I want to be me? Right. <laughs> you know? Well, that's true. Yeah, why I, assume that everybody wants to know about me yeah. in my songs? I don't, yeah. I don't get that. I can totally see that in terms of the, even in a, in a practice of being an artist that is already sort of uh, self-involved. To then yeah. just continue to mine, you yeah. know, your own real existence and failures in some degrees is can be an escape or a, or a catalyst in so, some ways. Such a great point. It's so true. Yeah. You know, it is all about you most of the time, you know, as an artist. You know, and I, I don't know any artist that isn't that way, that isn't, doesn't think right. in, that, in those terms of well, how is this affecting me and how can I put it into my art? Yeah. And that's 24-7, essentially, is me wake up in the middle of the night thinking about me right? and, you know, my issues and what I, how I can capitalize on my issues sure. in a song or whatever. Yeah. I think every artist is that way. But, yeah, I, you I, know, it, as you get older, you start to realize that it's not as important, that you can separate the art life from the real yeah. life. It's a lot of it will wash away, yeah. you know. Do you uh, really it, like that water metaphor? Well, I, I grew up You were 90%. I'm from you're Michigan. about 98% water. <laughs> oh oh and yeah Just came i wish i had a quick retort and i thought oh i'm gonna burn him back on this so hard and it just failed me it just failed me yeah. because the burn was so complete well and so thorough just put it chalk it up there to the calories you're not burning either <laughs> you're a mean dark person i did not know this Necessarily before I invited you in here. here I, I only am. say this because you still don't own it. You need to own it. Well, we are going to call the podcast. What are we going to call it? Uh, own it. Ch- ch- own uh, it. Pudgy. Pudgy. The Pudgy Pud- Podcast. Pudgecast. Uh, but uh, I think in, to just loop through fatherhood, I think, uh, you know, just as an outside observer of you and your family. Uh, <laughs> Laughing about that. Sorry, go ahead. Do it again. I'm sorry. Take it again. Take two. We don't have you. You're going to make me edit this. No. No. uh, As an outside observer, again, I'm trying to pay you a compliment. Yeah. Is that um, you know the world that you've built for yourself with Lux and your family now and and your um, just as a father, it looks. It's, it looks idyllic, and I don't mean that in a in a fake way. It just it feels it resonates to me as like those those people really love each other. Mm-hmm. They have a great family. They pour mm-hmm. all that love into their children mm-hmm. and your career, and you guys have made it work in a world that is a lot of pressures would tear a family like that apart. Yeah, uh, and part of it I would put to your seasoning as you enter this other chapter of your life. You know, sure. you weren't. You weren't 21 or 22 again when 
yeah. when you were trying to do this uh, with Lux? You know, I mean, it's as easy, it's as simple, for me, it's as simple as this. I'm 50, what am I, 54 years old. I've got a gorgeous, hot, beautiful wife who's quite a bit younger than me that, you know, just still loves me and wants to be with me. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm getting to be a cranky old guy. You yeah, know what you I mean? Are, I am. Taking and, uh, shots at hosts. And, yeah, no. you know, she'll, yeah, she'll, um, you know, she'll slap me around and say, look, I'm not going to be with a cranky old guy. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's easy for me. I am not the, you know, I'm not the martyr here. No, and I think our, our households <laughs> are know. similar in that we have both very strong type A type of, well, like they're going to they're gonna lead the household. So you just have a role to play and not screw it up. That's like as much yeah. as you can contribute, you yeah. contribute. And yeah. in a way, uh, you know, as, as enthusiastically <laughs> so as you true. have. But uh, it doesn't, like, you're also fully accountable for when you're not invested or you're too selfish or you're yeah. too, uh, you know, too wrapped up in your own garbage. Yeah. They will pull you out of it in a heartbeat in a way that isn't always fun. When I'm, when I'm home, and I don't know if this is, like, what it is for you, but, you know, I find myself, you know, there are little things in the house that bother me. Um, you know, there's, you know, molding that's, you know, chipped or whatever and that kind of thing. And I always notice those things when I come home or whatever. We have a gorgeous home. Yeah, I, mean, old, I love your house. Old house, yeah. love your house too. So you got the same kind of thing going on. But it's an old house, so, or whatever. And there's, there's things for me to complain about, to say, oh, I got to get that done or whatever. And it can translate when you get home. If you're out on the road, you get home, and then, you know, wife, your wife might take that personally for some yeah. reason, that she's not taking care of the crown mold or whatever. 90% of my time at home is of trying to not talk <laughs> because when I talk, I open my mouth, it comes out that I, that the molding's chipped or it needs paint or yeah. something here, or the kids are this, or there's something here, something wrong here, something wrong there. 90% of my day when I'm home is to just keep my mouth shut, just trying to find ways to keep my mouth shut and yeah. not complain about anything. Yeah. And I have no business complaining. Right. I have a great life. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's the Dutch in me, the old Dutch guy in me who complains yeah, about it. Yeah, but it also, you know, that also what drives you to other things. You know, it's if you could just, you would have, you would have moved on in, in 99 or 2000 or 2001, you know, and just mm -hmm. like, oh, I, I did it. You know, like yeah. there's part of you that's just like that unrest as an artist is what is keeping you. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's destroying your relationships at home, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, boy, is it an asset on the other side. <laughs> yeah. You think you're miserable. Talk to Lux sometime. Oh, you know, my like God. Just Believe venting. Me. No. She's, thank goodness she's into yoga, and she's a yoga teacher now, and she, I mean, she found something that's her thing, clearly yeah. her thing. She adores it. She could do it all day. Yeah, it's great. Are Wonderful. you doing She's any happy. yoga? I'm happy. Have you trying to do I've done, yoga? I did, I did serious yoga six months, about six months. I went every day. And I wasn't making advances the way I wanted to make advances. Like when you go to work out, and like you have a bench, bench presses, you know, your, your template. You're talking in theory, right? I mean, you're asking. No, no, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, no, you said you like it was actually me working out. <laughs> no, it's like a, the royal you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but there are benchmarks. You know, bench presses, you say, well, I can bench press this much or whatever and work on that. And they do that kind of thing. Yoga, I could never get anywhere to where I felt like, I can do this. Right. I, you know, I'm, I'm six foot five, again, and we're a couple hundred pounds, and it's hard for me to stretch because I'm so tall and I'm so used to slouching the whole thing. 
So stretching for me is hard. It's hard to do the poses. Yeah. And, hard to, and if I'm not doing the poses right, and it takes me six months, and I'm still not doing them right, <laughs> right. in my head, it's like, what is the point? As much as I enjoy that process of doing the yoga, like the breathing and the whole thing, and when I'm done, I'm like, oh, I love this or whatever. I'm not making the advances that I want to make. I quit, so I stopped doing it. Now I do it, I do it on occasion with her, but you know, it's not a normal practice for me. Is there a class she teaches about rock guitar poses that yeah, you've mastered? I, listen, I, and, you know, it's so funny because another one of her instructors came to our show at 20 Monroe in Grand Rapids and... Big rock show, first time they'd ever seen it. And I was thinking about that as I was doing my typical rock poses. Like, I get down, and I do... I don't do the splits. I can't do the splits. Right. But I'm in these, like, yeah. almost semi-yoga yeah. poses. Right. And I'm like, I wonder if they're thinking that right now. Like, he's not nearly that flexible when he comes to class. You know? In the moment, yeah. You, in the you moment, give it up heavily medicated. It's, Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Or, or uh, you know, oh, that, I oh, think... That's my train. Yeah. That's a, it's a perfect time for you to pick up your chainsaw. What a, that's the most flimsy excuse uh, for, a, for a hard stop I've ever heard. I have to pick up a chainsaw before my hair appointment. You know, people that are just tuning in are wondering, why the hell are they playing train sound effects on this podcast? <laughs> the stupidest thing. Well, now I'm going to open the, the double doors to the, my whole train set world, yeah, and then we'll oh play with God. our Lionel. Uh, I was watching Sopranos, and uh, the one character is like really into trains, and he actually oh, yeah. is at his garage, yeah, and he yeah, actually yeah. wears the little conductor hat. Love that. Fine. Uh, any final thoughts? I really appreciated coming in, but was there something that you thought you would say or uh, talk about as we meandered through this? No, I think we, and I don't mean this in a bad way, we did cover pretty much anything I would want to talk about, but we, you know, the process. I think the most important to me, for me to get across with anybody when I discuss things creatively is that, is that the process is the whole thing. The process of actually painting, the process of taking the pictures, of, of you know, getting to the... The final product is never what the process is. Yeah. You know, we, as musicians, we rarely will listen to a song after we've spent a year writing it, a year recording it, and that whole time period of working on the song or whatever, then it's done... How often do you listen to it? Yeah. I listen to it once or twice. Sure. But, but I never go back to it. And we don't enjoy the end result nearly as much as we enjoy what's going on in the world. I think you could take that in any, any part of your life and say, well, that's the most important thing is what's going yeah. on now. Right. We only have right now in our consciousnesses in that moment, not to get right. off into a Jim Carrey type no, no, of existence, true, but yeah. this is what we have. So let's just yeah. enjoy that. That's exactly right. Well, thanks, buddy. I really admire you. Always admire a blast to talk to you. Yeah, Even if fun. we're not recording, it's fun to talk I have been recording everything, so I'm going to need a couple checks before I release those. All right, man. Good luck thanks. with the tour. Thank you. Uh, and uh, all the verb pipe stuff coming up. I know you're going to have a million dates. Go to brianvanderark.com if you need anything. Yep. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks, bud. Yeah.